emotions. But we're going to continue that today. But uh, before we dive in, I did just want to give a big shout out and a thank you to a couple of our volunteers. Uh, you might not be aware of this, but uh, throughout the course of the last couple of years, one of the ministries that has had the greatest impact in blessing our community here has been our ESL program, our English as a Second Language program. It started off before the pandemic. We actually have a partnership with the city of Ottawa, and they let us use the Ottawa Public Library to welcome new Canadians, who people who move to our country, who need to make friends, who need to understand how Canada works. <laughs> and uh, it's just been amazing. We have so many great volunteers there. But I just want to give a shout out to Karen Chow, who's sitting over there, and to Pat Brett, who's joining us online. They've been a part of that ministry since the very beginning, helping Danielle out in that. And so I heard some rumor that I think they're going to be stepping back a little bit. So we just want to thank you so much for all of your years of service in that crucial ministry of blessing people who are new to our country and helping them feel the love of Jesus by the local church. Because that's what our church should be about, is showing people the incredible love of God. So thank you for that. So today in our sermon series, again, we're doing this sermon series talking about emotions. There's a biblical scholar who did some research within the four Gospels and saw that Jesus himself expresses 39 different emotions in the four Gospels. So those of you that are uncomfortable talking about your feelings, that's okay because, well, Jesus isn't. <laughs> and Jesus isn't uncomfortable with showing his feelings, but he shows them and deals with them in a gospel-centered way. And what I mean by that is he deals with his feelings and his emotions the way God intended for our emotions to be used. And today's emotion, I want to talk about this one because as I talk to more and more and more people, this one seems to become more and more prevalent in the world that we live in today. And I want to talk about the feeling of anxiety. I want to talk about the feeling of anxiety. I was doing some research about this um, just this week as I was preparing this message. And um, there's some data that's collected by Health Canada. I always love it when I can find the Canadian statistics. And so in Health Canada, in 2009, Health Canada was reporting that one in 10 adults were struggling with some form or some level of anxiety. Now, it's a big spectrum. Obviously, it can go from just a little bit of anxiety and stress to like full-blown where you need to be medicated and seek counseling and all that. So there's this big spectrum in anxiety. But one in 10 in 2009. Last year... In 2021, it was one in four. One in four Canadian adults wrestling with some form of anxiety. Uh, In 2018, I went to our denomination's uh, national convention, and uh, they were were going on this health kick thing. I guess they kind of realized they're preaching to like a room full of overweight pastors, and uh, so they were trying to find ways to incentivize pastors to uh, lose a little bit of the Baptist pot belly, and um, and so they, they were giving away free Fitbits and doing all of this stuff like that to try to get us to exercise more as pastors, and they shared some data with us. As, as Christian leaders, and this is again 2018, this is before the pandemic, and they actually shared with us how our fellowship, our denomination, is using our health care package, our benefits. And they shared that the number one expense among pastors and pastor families in our denomination, number one, 
was anxiety medication. More than the dentist. If you think about how much the dentist costs, if you've got kids with braces, our denomination is spending more money on anxiety medication than braces. We live in an anxiety-inducing culture. And sadly, I don't always feel like we as Christians respond to this feeling in a healthy biblical way. We tend to um, look at those who are struggling with anxiety, people who, again, wherever there are on that chart of the level of anxiety, and we tend to respond with, well, you just need more faith. <laughs> well, if you just read your Bible more, if you just deal with it, suck it up. I mean, you've had this for like two years now, and it's still going on. Like, when can we be done caring for you? Because I'm kind of fed up with dealing with this. Right? And we can really do a lot of damage in an emotion that is real and that so many people are struggling with. And so, again, instead of just kind of coming up with just kind of little Christian cliches, let's look at what the Bible actually says about this feeling, about this emotion that so many people are struggling with, looking at anxiety. So what I want to do is we're going to read from uh, Mark chapter 14. And the story that we're going to look at is right at the very end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Right, Jesus came and, and he was teaching people about the kingdom of God. He was doing all of these signs, these wonders, these miracles to point people to the kingdom of God. Like when the, when the gospels use the word sign, it's, it's, especially in John's gospel, it's a sign points to something. Right? When you're driving your car and you see a sign that gives you an update on whereabouts you are on the destination of your journey. So same in the gospel. So we have these signs. And so Jesus is pointing to something. And so he was going around doing this ministry. He was teaching. He was healing. He's raising the dead. He's challenging the religious leaders of his day that have gotten so obsessed on just following their religious traditions to the letter that they were actually driving people out of the kingdom of God. (laughs) They were making it difficult for people to actually turn to God. And that's what Jesus is doing. And now Jesus is about to go to the cross to fulfill ultimately why he came, to die for the sin of all of humanity. And so the night when Jesus was arrested, he has a meal, the Last Supper, with his closest disciples. He shares how one of them is going to betray him. And so Judas goes off to the religious leaders and just for a small bag of money betrays Jesus. Let's the guards know, let's the religious knows where Jesus is going to be hiding out, where they could arrest him. And now Jesus is feeling the full weight of what is about to come. That he is about to go to the cross. And if you've ever watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ, kids don't watch that. Crucifixion was brutal. Now I'm watching that when we get home. Whenever you tell kids not to do something, they all do it. I don't know why you guys do that, but it's the way we work. That's that human nature again kicking in. But the full weight of what is about to come is hitting Jesus like a ton of bricks. So that's what we're going to read here from Mark chapter 14. 
So I'm going to start reading here in verse 32. So it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. So it says they, it's Jesus and his, and some of his disciples. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took Peter, James, and John along with him. So he's taking them further along, deeper into the garden. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Like the Greek language here for this distressed and this troubled, this is that, that level of anxiety that just completely twists and turn your insides. Right? It's that level of anxiety, and this is what it's in the Greek here. It's like there's literally a pressure on your chest that you can't breathe because of the worry and the stress and the anxiety that's kicking in here. Right? So Jesus is experiencing something right here that I'm sure a lot of people in this room have experienced. If it's truly one in four... That's a whole lot of us. And Jesus says these words to his closest disciples, to Peter, James, and John. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He says this to them, stay here and keep watch. And so Jesus goes a little further into the garden and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Whenever the New Testament talks about the hour, the gospels talk about the hour. That's the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus said, my hour had not come. It's not come yet. The hour is not here yet. It's this crucifixion that's coming. And so he's praying that the hour might pass from him. And he cries out in verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once more he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. There's so much powerful language in this passage here of, of what Jesus is dealing with in this level of, of, of distress and being troubled in this feeling of anxiety. This story of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane is in three out of the four Gospels. And there's kind of this biblical pattern right? That whenever things are repeated multiple times in your Bible, it's important. (laughs) When things get repeated again and again and again, I personally take note of those things in my Bible because it's like, okay, God, what do you want me personally to learn from this? Something that's repeated. In Luke's account, of this passage. And if you study the scriptures and kind of study kind of how the Bible is put together, Luke was a doctor. Luke is a physician. He's a medically trained person. And in his account of what is going on here is Jesus 
is sweating blood. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had that in your fitless nights of sleep of anxiety. I haven't, praise be to God. But we're talking about such a level of stress that the body is responding to this. Now, this is why, like Danielle and I, my wife, we've been on this journey now of spiritual health that has to be connected to our physical health that has to be connected to our mental health because the three of them, you can't separate them. We are so intertwined as human beings, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. When you are an emotional wreck, when the anxiety hits you so bad, what does it do to you? It messes you up physically. (laughs) You can't sleep. You feel sick. You lose weight. You gain weight, whatever it is. And then when you're not sleeping and when you're feeling sick and and you're struggling with this, then how does that affect you spiritually? You can't pray. You don't read your Bible. You're tired all the time. You don't want to volunteer. You don't want to go to church. These things are so intertwined here. This is why the way the church responds to mental health, the way the church responds to anxiety, can't just be these little pat answers to just keep people quiet. It's not just about just pray more, read your Bible more. There's something deeper here. And I think this story here in Mark's gospel gives us a pattern to look at what Jesus did. Like if if we as followers of Jesus actually believe that we're supposed to do what Jesus did, you know, like when we ask ourselves, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, then let's look at what Jesus did. He's sweating blood. He's stressed out. He's freaked out. He's nervous. The anxiety level is at an all-time high in the ministry of Jesus here. What does he do? How does he respond? Let's look at that model together today. Okay, so three things. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to jot these down. If you use uh, the YouVersion Bible app, you can see the outline in there in the events tab as well if you want to follow along that way. But three things that we see Jesus model for us in uh, Mark chapter 14. The first thing that we see Jesus do is we see Jesus talk to his friends. If you're struggling with any kind of worry... (laughs) If you're struggling with any kind of anxiety, regardless of the level of it, talk to your friends. Like we see this in verse 33, it says, and and he being Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. And then he said to them, like he confessed to them, like this is Jesus saying to these three regular ordinary guys, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Right? Peter, James, and John are, are the earliest disciples of Jesus. They're the ones that began to follow him the longest, the, followed him first. Right? And so these three men were present with Jesus in a number of, of special events in the ministry of Jesus. One of the biggest was the transfiguration. And what that was is when they went up on this mountain to pray, they saw Jesus in his full glory. The fullness and the completeness of Jesus in his glory. Kind of the way we read about Jesus in the book of Revelation. They witnessed that. 
They got to see that. So they've got this great relationship with him. They were with Jesus when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They personally got to see Jesus resurrect the dead. And then they're with Jesus in his deepest sorrow. Right? And again, put yourselves in the mind of these three disciples. Remember, like these disciples, they're expecting Jesus to show up as a conqueror. Like they're expecting Jesus to show up as king, to overthrow Rome. Right? And suddenly this leader, this, this powerhouse of a man that you expect to overthrow Rome is on the ground weeping in sorrow and overwhelmed. And Jesus is okay with that. We need to be okay with talking to our friends. Okay? You were not built to deal with your anxiety alone. I am not built to deal with my anxiety alone. There is no leader on the planet strong enough to do it alone. If Jesus could talk to his friends, then so can you. Because ultimately, isn't that the truest form of friendship? Where you can actually be real with someone? Where you can actually share your struggles? Like, I don't know about you guys. I'm just going to speak to the guys for a moment. But we men, we tend to build friendship on activity. The guys we play golf with, the guys we go fishing with, the guys we play sports with, the guys that we read comic books with, the guys we play video games with. We tend to build friendship on, on, on activity. And when it starts to get really, really real, it's like, dude, go talk to your wife. Or go talk to Pastor Kevin. Like, go, go, just go talk to someone else. Right? But this is the model of Jesus here for his church, to his disciples. To talk to your friends. Tell someone what is really going on. Right? That's why we as a church unapologetically tell everyone to be in a life group. This is why we've built our entire care model around the importance of life groups. This is why I say unapologetically, if you're not in a life group in our church, you're actually not a part of our care system as a church. Because we have in our database now, we're hitting over 800 people who come in and out of our ministry here. The staff can't be the only people who care. We need to care for one another. And it starts with talking to your friends. It's in those life groups where meaningful relationships are built, where those deep friendships are built. And it doesn't have to be with everybody. It could just be with one or two other people in the group. That's where these environments, we intentionally foster them. And we're actually, and we start this young. This is why our kids ministry is built around the concept of groups. It's why our youth ministry is built around the concept of groups. It's why our adult ministry is built around the concept of groups. So that you will tell somebody. Talk to your friends. Talk to your friends. It's what Jesus did and models for us here. That's the first thing. I strongly encourage you. Talk to your friends. 
The second thing that we see Jesus do here in his time of anxiety is talk to your father. Talk to your father. In verse 36, we see the words of Jesus here, Abba, Father. Right? And the word Abba, this is this Aramaic word. It's not, it doesn't just mean father. It means like daddy, papa. It's like the deepest intimate language word that a, a child could have towards their father. Right? And Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. For, uh, for you. Remove this cup from me. Right? Jesus models for us bringing his anxiety and his worry to his father. And again, when Jesus talks about the cup, what is this cup that he's referring to? Again, it's this, it's this, resur- as this uh, crucifixion that's about to come. It's this spilling out of his blood that's about to happen. It's the fact that the entire weight of sin, my sin, your sin, all of humanity's sin is about to be placed onto the Son of God. <laughs> and the Bible actually teaches us that he who was without sin actually becomes sin. <laughs> and he's separated something weird, and I can't even theologically explain it, but some, there's some kind of breakdown in the Trinity where the Son feels the distance of the Father because of our sin on him. And he cries out to his father. Cries out to him. Cries out to his father on what he's dealing with. This past week, I went on a, um, a silent day of prayer uh, with a spiritual director. Uh, and if you know me well, a, a day of silence is you might as well just put me and wrap me up in saran wrap and stick me in a cardboard box, and I'm like a trapped squirrel. It's just like, it's just completely squirrely. Like, I got to spend eight hours in a room by myself in silence. Are you kidding me? And I didn't even bring my cell phone with me. I left it in the car. I didn't even have a watch or a clock. Everything in me is going absolutely nuts because I like to be productive. I like to know what's going on. I like to use my time to the maximum that I possibly can. Okay, it's like so a full day of complete silence with God. This was one of the things the elder said. Well, Kevin, we think you should be doing this more often. Thanks, elders. Okay, (laughs) but I agree with them (laughs) because I want to hear from God. And one of the things that my spiritual director did, he had me just meditating on the story of Martha and Mary. If you're not familiar with them, they're two women who um, opened up their home to Jesus. And one of the women, Martha, was just very, very busy doing all this work to prepare for Jesus. And then the other woman, Mary, just sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching. And Jesus said to Martha, because Martha was getting very mad at Mary for doing nothing. She's doing all the work. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says these words to her. He says, you are upset and worried about a great many things. And that verse hit me like a ton of bricks this week. And I asked myself, Kevin, what are you upset and worried about? And so I took out my journal and I wrote two and a half pages. Don't worry, none of your names are on there. Okay? But I literally wrote two and a half pages of bullet points of what I am upset about and what I am worried about. And I was shocked. 
shocked that the list was that long. And then my spiritual director said this, that then you're going to read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It's a verse that most of us know by heart. If we've grown up in the church, we have fridge magnets with this verse. And it says, do not be anxious about anything. And my spiritual director, he actually wrote this in a journal for me. He wrote it by hand. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present, and he put a blank to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present blank to God. And so what I did for the remainder of that day in complete total silence by myself was just my Bible and God is I prayed through two and a half pages of things that I am worried about and upset about. I presented my worry about my health, my worry about my parents' aging health, my worry about the economy, the worry about just the state of the world that we're living in right now. Is this stupid pandemic thing ever going to end? This and 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 this. And one after another, after another, after another, I spoke to my Abba Father about everything that is upsetting me and worrying me. Because Paul says... When you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. You see, we as the church, we either have to say we actually believe this is true, or our personal experience will say it's not. But you and I have to put ourselves into a posture to allow this to be true. When we're so busy. And so busy and so busy. All we are doing is adding and adding and adding to our anxiety and adding to our worry and adding to our stress. That's why Sabbath keeping is so crucial. Not in some legalistic way to hopefully God loves me if I actually take some time off. It's actually I slow down long enough to actually enjoy God to enjoy the blessings he's given me, to enjoy my family, to enjoy my friends, to enjoy my home, to enjoy food, to enjoy music, to enjoy a nap, whatever that is. Because we've given this to God. We need to develop this spiritual rhythm of coming to our Father. Because all things are possible for him. We know this in our heads But do we live out the way Jesus models this for us? God, I know you could take this problem away. I know you can take this problem away. I know you can take this away. I know you can deal with this. I know you can deal with that. But we come with this posture expecting God to show up. This is what Jesus models for us with anxiety. We talk to our friends. We talk to our father. And then finally, what we see Jesus doing here is talk to your feelings. Now, this is where it's going to get really weird. Okay, and this is where we're going to make people uncomfortable. Okay? But look at what Jesus, how he responds to his feelings. Jesus is feeling what he's feeling. His feeling, his emotion is real. It's impacting him emotionally. It's impacting him physically. It's impacting him spiritually. And Jesus says these words, 
not my will, but your will. See, Jesus is taking this anxiety, this strong feeling. He's got this feeling that is telling him to run. God, you can come up with another way to deal with sin. He could. He could have, right? He could have done anything. He could have just said, yeah, yeah, it's fine, Bob. You've sinned. Just forget about it. Just forgive it. He's God. He could do anything. But he chose this way to deal with sin. That blood had to be spilt to deal with it. And instead of it being humanity's blood that had to be spilt to deal with sin, God's blood is spilt to deal with sin. And so Jesus is speaking to this feeling that is telling him to run. And saying, but not my will. Your will be done. Could you just imagine... If Jesus had taken his cell phone with him to the Garden of Gethsemane and he opened up his TikTok account and then he started recording himself having this meltdown on TikTok. Could you imagine the comments that would come from people on his TikTok page? Well, Jesus, you just need to be true to your feelings. Jesus, you got to be true to who you are. Jesus, you need to listen to your heart. If your heart's telling you to run, run. You don't need to do it, Jesus. Just be real. Your feelings lie to you every single day. The Bible tells us that. That the human heart is deceitful above all things. We, as the church, we need to speak truth over our feelings. In love. Not in judgment, not in condemnation, but we have to speak truth over our feelings. Because if, I'm going to be honest, a little confession time. If I were to truly live the way my feelings are telling me to live, I'd be arrested. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I joke about punching people in the throat. Okay? No, I've met people who deserve a good punch to the throat in Jesus' name. Okay, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, there's a little part of me that goes, man, if I could drop another 20 pounds, that punch will get faster and faster. Like, and I'm just going to pop this person in the throat. If I live by my feelings, you'd be calling the cops on me. We don't live by our feelings. Our feelings reflect something that is going on. But we have to be using wisdom and discernment and prayer, and all of these things, and ask ourselves, Father, not my will. Father, not my will, but your will. Not how I'm feeling. Not what I'm dealing with. But God, what is your will for me? The situation that I'm in that's causing this anxiety, whether it's situational or whether it's just medical, whether it's just a physical thing that you're dealing with. Why do I have this God? What are you trying to show in this? And let's seek out God's will together. That's what Jesus, we see Jesus doing. He's speaking over that feeling. When the Bible teaches us to take every thought captive, that's what this means. Is I'm thinking this, I need to take that thought and go, what does the Bible actually say? I need to take this feeling and go, what does the Bible actually say? We speak truth over our feelings. 
so that we all don't get arrested on Monday morning. (laughs) See, we already do that in many areas of our lives. We need to do that with our worry and our anxiety, just as Jesus models for us. We talk to a friend. We talk to our father. We talk to our feelings. And maybe you're here today and and you're listening to this going, man, anxiety and worry, I've got nothing. It's not one of my problems. You're not the one in four. (laughs) Then what's your response to a message like this? Be a friend. (laughs) Be someone that someone can talk to. (laughs) Be available for people (laughs) because they need a friend (laughs) to talk to. So be the friend. Maybe what you can do is if that person just can't bring themselves to talk to the father, you talk to the father on their behalf and you pray for them in intercession. Intercession means you are interceding for them that they can't even pray for what they need. So I'm going to step into their place and I'm going to pray it on their behalf for them. Be that kind of a friend. Right? And then lovingly come alongside people to bring truth in their worry, in their anxiety, and the things they're struggling with. Help them see what God is doing. Help them to see how God's will is being done, even in their struggle, even in that emotion that they're wrestling with. See, there is amazing opportunity in an anxiety-driven culture, like in an anxiety-inducing culture, there's incredible opportunity for us as the church to bring the love of God to people, starting with us. <laughs> this is why I say, again, unapologetically, the church should be the safest place on the planet to talk about anything. It has to be. Because <laughs> if we can't even talk about it, how would we ever expect the world to talk about it the way we think they should be talking about it? <laughs> Because we're too busy ignoring and pushing our feelings down or trying to man up and woman up and trying to be these great Christian leaders. Here's your model of the best Christian leader that's ever walked the planet. Who's okay with telling his friends about his struggle. Who's okay with talking to his Abba. And okay speaking truth over his feelings. The model's right there. But the trick for us is to make sure that we don't do it as kind of this religious rule. If you do it as this religious rule, it's not going to work. The only way that this actually works is you need that part of the gospel. You need that part of God in you to do it through you. That's why we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That when Jesus said that I'm going to send you my spirit, we believe that when we turn from our sin and we ask for Jesus to forgive us of that sin, that sin that he went to the cross for, that sin that created such anxiety for him, that sin that made him sweat blood. When we turn from that sin and we turn our hearts back to God, the Bible says you become new. You didn't become new by being religious and keeping rules and traditions. You became new because the Holy Spirit comes into you and makes you a temple of the living God. And it's through his power, through his work in us and through us as we study the Bible, as we pray, as we do those things, because we're making an environment where the Holy Spirit can work in us and through us. And so maybe you're joining online or maybe you're in this room today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You can do that real easy. 
just by praying real simply, Father, forgive me, a sinner. And thank you that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. Come into my life. Make me new. And if you pray that way online, a little pop-up shows up at Greenbelt Online. Please click that. Let us know. I'd love to send some free resources to you. If you pray that way in the room today, come and tell me after the service. I'd love to celebrate and rejoice with you for making that decision. And for the rest of us who have done that, whether it was a week ago or decades ago, Let's use Jesus as the model. What would Jesus do in an anxiety-inducing culture? We know exactly what Jesus would do. (laughs) He'd tell his friends, talk to his father, talk to his feelings, through the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Let's do that exact same thing in no matter what you and I are facing in this world. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you for the way that you have made us and created us in your image and in your likeness. And you have given us feelings, you have given us emotions, and they reflect you, God, because you have feelings and emotions. And we see Jesus living out his feelings and his emotions. And so, God, I I praise you and I thank you personally for the example in, in this story from Mark on how you've spoke to me, even in my own quiet time this week. And God, I pray that over our church, that whatever is upsetting our church, whatever is worrying our church, that we would give that request to you. God, bring friends into our lives that we can talk to and be real with. Just one. All all we need is one. Bring that friend into each of our lives. Father, help us to trust you more, that we can speak to you as a loving daddy, that we can bring our hurts and our worries and our pain and our anxiety to you. And Holy Spirit, speak truth over us, not in judgment or condemnation and not in a mocking way, but help us to take our emotions, our feelings captive and hold them to the light of your truth. So that we could truly say in our anxiety, not my will, but your will be done. So Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, speak. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.